Wallawani, welcome. My name's Ian Campbell from Palliative Care Australia in Canberra on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri peoples. Welcome to Thursdays at Three, our regular series of conversations with people living and working at the end of life. A very real and personal conversation to share with you today, exploring the impact of Huntington's disease and what the palliative care sector needs to know, what we all need to know. Kathy Langley's family lives with the faulty gene that causes Huntington's disease and understands the disease all too well. Kathy joins us from her home in regional Victoria. Hello, Kathy. Hi, Ian. How are you? Good, thank you. I'm looking forward to learning from your family's experience today. What is Huntington's disease, Kathy? Let's start at the very beginning. Um, it's a rare genetic, neurological, I always get that word wrong. <laughs> <It's a tricky laughs> it's not a mental one, but it can be seen as that. There is no cure and all children born to parents who are at risk uh, being tested positive or diagnosed have also got a 50% chance of inheriting as well. So until they can be tested, they are also at risk. Kathy, as you say, a neurological disease that's caused by a faulty gene, but just picking up on one thing you said there that, that it seems like people often mistake it for a, a, a mental health illness. Is that right? That's correct. Because of the symptoms, it can appear that way. Um, yeah, it, there are many complex, um, uh, yeah, many varied complex mm -hmm. um, symptoms in it and it can be seen very much as a mental illness when it's not. It just affects them that way. <laughs> we'll get a sense of those symptoms as we hear about your family's experience. Tell us, yep. tell us about your family's experience, Kathy, and your your life, your history with Huntington's disease. Okay, so yes, so I'm born from a family of Huntington's disease. Uh, my father inherited it off his mother. She inherited it off her father, and it goes back. Um, my father passed it on to, if you like, my three of my siblings. I tested negative, um, and um, I've got. There is another sibling who it was who still we do not know. Um, he was born much later and chose not to be tested. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah. And how did it play out, or how does it play out in your family with with your father and the three siblings you point to? Yeah, sure. With my father, the first signs that I could recall with him was um, losing that humorous side of himself. Um, he became very serious. At the dinner table, this was very much apparent. We used to have, laugh, have a good time, you know, discuss our days. And um, he became very serious and just tell us to eat our meal and mm -hmm. um, it continued on like that. And he became, yeah, more depressive. My the um, sibling, first sibling, she wasn't like that. She was just um, more of the jerking, you know, the jerking you hear about with Huntington's disease. She did a lot of that. And, um, and then the next sister, she sort of lost empathy, um, just very oh, silent, said very little. Mm -hmm had a grumpy almost appearance. Um, and the, the, then the next sibling, um, he was sort of just, oh, just changing his own ways. He, um, 
I can't say he was depressed or anything. He was just his, he's just had his moments. And um, with my father too, he became, um, as time went by, he became really kind of argumentative. Um, he would be accusing us of things, okay. something we hadn't done. Um, and the, but there was a real mixture with them all. But um, like the sister I told you who had lost empathy, she wouldn't even talk, you know. Um, so I can really get a sense of, of why it's often mistaken for a mental health illness. There's a real change of character that happens by yes, that. That's correct. Yep. Yeah, very definitely. And Kathy, you also mentioned um, jerking, a sort of more physical uh, uh, symptom. Yep. Uh, tell us a bit more about that, that sort of physical side of things. Yes. Um, as I said, the jerking, they can appear to look drunk. And I remember taking my, having my sister stay with the weekend to give my mother a bit of relief and um, taking her shopping. And I remember thinking if anyone says or does anything, look out for them I'll, <laughs> because I was very protective and defensive of her. But, yes, she could not feed herself in the end without it ending up anywhere else, everywhere but in her mouth. And she was very independent, so she did not like that at all. You know, didn't like anyone helping her in any way. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's it gets very much like that. Kathy, I'm guessing your father has has passed away. Are your siblings still alive and living no, with this? No, they've all gone. So um, some of them lived to, in their forties, and the others went in their fifties. And is it Huntington's disease that causes someone's death in in the end? The progressive nature of the disease is it that's is is it that what kills people in the end? Generally, I have been told that some have actually got cancer, and that's taken them. But mm -hmm. what happens is, as I saw it with my family, as it's like it weakens. Um, say my father, the bowel, um, it weakens an organ, and they end up going with that. But it was Huntington's that triggered it, if you'd like. So another a physical symptom, another physical manifestation of the disease, yeah. 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 Yes. And I might add too when we're talking about mental illness, a lot of them end up in mental hospitals. So and I actually asked a nurse of a mental, a mental nurse, um, how how do they treat them? Do they treat them as mental patients or as Huntington's disease? And she said because they have never been taught anything else, they can only treat them as mental patients. Mm -hmm. Kathy, what does quality of life look like for someone with Huntington's disease? How does someone still look for those little moments that bring bring joy or quality to someone's life? Is that possible with Huntington's disease? Um, for as long as that can be, um, it can. It, it's about finding out what they enjoy still, what what um, gives them that purpose. Mm -hmm. um, my sister was into bushwalking, loved it until she could do it no more. Uh, my brother, he loved riding his bike, and that's what he did until he could do it no more. It's about finding what they like, and once that goes, there is nothing left. Kathy, it sounds really similar 
almost to, to dementia or, or MND yeah. and that sort of that sort yeah. of trajectory. It is actually known amongst the carers today as three diseases in the one. So they can get all, you know, they relate it to those things, but instead of having the one disease, they end up having the, the three diseases in mm-hmm. one. That is how it's seen, yes. Kathy, here we are talking on Rare Diseases Day. How rare is Huntington's or how common is Huntington's in Australia? Is, are, are, are cases growing? Where is it at? Yes, it's growing. Uh, the last I heard it was over 2,000 in Australia. Um, it grows around about 10, 15% each um, generation, I think. Mm-hmm. And okay. um, it is rare, but I have to say, because I've done a bit of research in recent times to re- relearn about how it is today compared to when it was with my lot and knowing that there is still some in my family who could end up having it, um, it for me, I began thinking that's rare and there's not going to be many have it. But I, Joe, if I found out I was wrong, that mm-hmm. there were quite a lot out there. And this, for a rare disease, it's becoming more common. Kathy, what do you want the palliative care community to know about looking after someone, looking after a family with Huntington's disease? What role have you seen palliative care play in, in, in your family's experience? Well, the best thing is to to learn about Huntington's disease and have a be able to understand um, and learn how to you know work with them to better mm-hmm. care for them um, because for an example um, my brother he he was in a place of a facility and um, uh, end up in a hospital but um, they did not know how to treat him. And they actually got a little scared of him because yeah. he's thrashing out and everything. But if you if you were to look into the, the disease and to learn how to deal with it, you see them more as they are, just human beings who have got an illness that they've got no control over. It, it, it seems to be a, a common challenge always to, to see the person and not see the disease. It, it, it's right. great that you rem, remind us of that, Kathy. Yeah. Kathy, you mentioned that the fear that can can be there around Huntington's disease and indeed similar similar diseases, similar conditions. That's what right. advice would you have for the for the community? Um, what role can the community play in supporting a family with Huntington's disease? If you know your neighbours are dealing with it, if the people down the street are dealing with it. What advice would you have for the community in terms of supporting those families, those people? Um, again, it's about learning about the disease. And once I learn about it, one, the education is really, really important. Once you learn about it and understand it better, then you're in a better position of offering help. Is there anything I can do for you? How can I help you? And it might be just a talk with the carer. Um, it could be someone who can just sit down and talk with the patient themselves. If you can understand them, then you've got a better chance of relating to them, if you like. Kathy, just thinking back over the experience you've had with your siblings and your your dad and, and, and that message that you just delivered so beautifully about remembering the person, were you able to still see your loved ones within the disease, even though the the, yes. the physical symptoms were there, the emotional symptoms were playing out. Were you still able to recognise them along the yeah. way? Yeah. 
Yes, I could see it. And that's probably one of the things that stays with me today in that I can help, help, try to help getting it out there and remembering their faces and remembering who they were as people. Mm -hmm. You've got to remember they are still human who have got their own thoughts. I can tell you my brother, for one, very frustrated with what he knew what was going on, but because he presented with the with the symptoms as being someone totally different. Other people couldn't see that. But he had a nurse actually who really got on well with him. And oh, the talk she told me, yeah, he was with it. There was no doubt about it. So when yeah. you get to know them, you can see the persons, you know, their personality. It, it's good of you to remember that that nurse that you mentioned there. Often, it, it, often there are special people during yeah. these sort of care journeys, aren't they? That that, yeah. that make make the difference. What are some of those things that that nurses, that doctors, that social workers perhaps did along the way that that really made a difference to your loved ones? Well, what this particular one person nurse, she used to sit down and talk with him, and I got to say that another nurse who I've spoken to since, um, she told me that she could see that her patient who had Huntington's was very frustrated with what he couldn't express otherwise. And um, she just used to sit down and talk with him and they found comfort. They find comfort in that and that someone's actually relating to them and talking to them like human beings and it helps them a lot. It helps them a yeah. lot, you know, and that's all I can say to the to continue treat treat them as they think of yourself in your in that position. How would you want to be treated? Kathy, yeah. no. the other really interesting part of hunting Huntington's disease, and perhaps one of the other challenges with Huntington's disease, is the the genetic nature of it. And I guess that question to test or not to test. Mm. It's a big one. That- it, absolutely. How, how have you approached that it, for your own life? Well, I kind of, I think I just had to think of my kids, in all honesty. I had a right to know for myself, but then I had to think of my children. Now, one didn't want to know, while the other one did want to know. And because I had a right to know as well, and I had a, a future to plan, um, so I decided, yeah, I'll go ahead and get it. But that didn't mean that I wasn't scared or nervous at any time. It just meant that I had to do what I felt was the right thing to do for my kids and for myself and my mm-hmm. husband too, for that matter. And um, so, yeah, it's scary, but yeah. it's, you know, but I know there are many who cannot do it. You don't have the, the faulty Huntington's no. disease gene was there any sort of counselling that you went through to, yes. to make that decision around genetic testing? Yes, there was. For me, I had to have six months of intense counselling prior prior to having um, getting the results, and um, that was they don't they don't have that same intense counselling now. They do have counselling, but not as long or anything. But yes, you could, they need to know that you can capable of taking the result whichever way it goes because mm-hmm. it doesn't if you have the disease then you've got a whole lot of a whole life ahead of you of worrying about it sort of thing and trying to think what's going to be good for me yeah uh, what's going to help me whereas 
if you don't have that gene, then you've got another whole lot of circumstances to deal with. <laughs> you lead me to my next question, Cathy. So you, you get the news that you don't have the gene. I imagine that's a funny mix of feelings to deal with. Yeah, it's a relief. It was it was fantastic telling my kids, um, yes. telling my family. Um, it was a mix. I can tell you that I the day that I got the negative result was a day my brother had been diagnosed as having it, and I felt so bad. But he was just mm. so happy for me and said, "If he, if only Kathy's okay, that means his kids can be okay." Yeah. So, yeah, and it, there's a whole mix of emotions going with all the family. I bet. Yeah. What about on the, the flip side, Kathy? If you if you go through the genetic testing, it's it's a positive test. You've got the faulty gene. How do you live your life there? Are there things you can do, lifestyle choices you can make, health choices you can make to to try and ward off the progress of Huntington's disease? What happens when you, you get that positive result? Okay, so I know that uh, my brother and one of the sisters um, just got very intently into their own interests. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, my brother who used to ride the bike all the time, he explained to me why he said he used to follow the dotted line in the middle of the road. And I say, and why did you do that? And he said because it was training his brain. He saw it as training his brain, hoping it would hold off the disease, the intenseness of the disease for as long as possible. So, yeah, they have their ways. And, and it comes back to quality of life. You know, what do I like doing? Where do I get joy from? That's and right. focusing on that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Cathy, there's there's no cure for Huntington's disease. No. Where's Where's research at? Are there scientists on this working on it? Yeah, there's, they're researching all the time, not just here in Australia but all over the world. They're researching all the time and and looking into things. Um, at this time, there is still no cure. I don't see it from and what from what I have discussed with the Huntington's, um, the researchers and that, there's nothing, no cure as such for the next couple of generations but they hope to be able to have something that will help with the symptoms, mm-hmm. you know. That's what they keep on doing there, increasingly looking into what can help with the symptoms. Yes. How long do people tend to live for with Huntington's disease? Um, depends um, a lot, but um, say 20, 25 years. Uh, and it depends on how they get it, and it also depends on their own state of mind, as in their own um, where what whether they want to live, basically, and if their quality of life is worth living for. Um, my one of the sisters, she was just she was very positive. She kept on going. She just live her life, and and until one day. Um, I went and saw her. She was in a facility and I encouraged her to let me feed her. And she did, yep, she'll do it for me. The next day, no, 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 no more. That's it. I'm done. And I could just tell it was a definite, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. My father too, he um, he wasn't impressed. He was he inherited this disease his mum had. He didn't want to go on. 
and he actually hit a tree that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other ones who had children and they just hung in there as much as they could for their kids. It, devastating that the people with Huntington's disease turn to things like taking their own life to... to yeah, it, they is, do. It, where does voluntary assisted dying sit within the Huntington's community? In all honesty, I have not looked into that, so mm-hmm. I can't tell you that, mm-hmm. but I can understand them wanting to do it. Totally. Yeah. So. Kathy, you don't have the faulty gene, but clearly this has shaped your life, shaped your your career. Tell us how Huntington's disease has, has shaped your your career, your your life, your ambitions, your passion. Well, it was more into my adult years that it really started taking shape in that way. Um, I was aware of something, but it wasn't until my adult years and and then it was more of after in later years um it affected me mostly i think to get it out like doing what i am doing now in that um realizing that there wasn't enough out there uh, knowledge or education and and the uh, as including it changes the changes a whole uh, family ways, you know, and it did in my family. The dynamics were not as they used to be. And and then I thought about my siblings and my dad and I thought, you know what, things have to change and there has to be more out there. And um, and I thought too of the, the who are left in the family that are at risk and I thought, when my time comes, I'd like to know that they're in a better position to get help to what they have been in the past. Mm-hmm. And and so it changed my thinking into because um, I used to be a volunteer for palliative care and and then that changed to, no, I want to help my own family's um, illness. And so it's that's what it's done for me. It's just made me look at it more personally. <laughs> It's given you a real purpose, a real, a real passion. Clearly, Kathy, yeah. and I imagine time and time again when I when I speak to people for the Thursdays at Three podcast, that the work they do, the life they lead, so close to death, inspires the way they live. Yeah. Do you feel that that, that there's not a day to waste? Yeah. Yes, I do. Mm. I was just telling my daughter this morning, actually, that. There have been times with this as I found very challenging. But then I think of like this podcast today. I think I'm helping people. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's that's a good thing. And so it makes me feel like if something happened to me tomorrow, for example, that I've done something good. Yeah. Yeah. You know? so, Kathy, where should people go for, for support, advice? Uh, are there support groups out there? Where would you direct people for, for more information about Huntington's disease? Okay. Every state has its own Huntington's disease organisation, but more recently um, they've merged, all but Victoria, have merged um, to become Huntington's Australia. So they're a great place to start. And also there's a Huntington's disease uh, network of Australia. They all work very closely together. So the difference being is one offers the support and the other one takes the contact they they um, have 
what they encourage registration so they know where everyone's located and they also are able to direct you to the research and so therefore you can test be tested you know join with the trials for research that sort of thing but definitely Hunters Australia I'd start I'll include links to Huntington's Australia in the in the show notes and, and make pe- yep. make sure people find those links easily. Kathy, yeah. thank you so much for sharing your time and you and your experience and your family's experience with us today. We're all better for it and we, we certainly wish you well. Thank you. Thank you. Kathy and I have been talking about some big things today. If you need some support, if you, if you need some professional support to, to deal with any of the issues that may have been raised today, then please reach out to Lifeline on 13 11 14. Thank you so much for tuning into Thursdays at 3, whether that's via PCA socials or Spotify and engaging in matters of life and death. You'll find advice, tools and support at the Palliative Care Australia website where you can also make a donation to support our work. See you next Thursday.